0: All right, if you would tonight, open your Bibles with me to the book of 2 Peter chapter number one. We're starting a new series tonight here uh, in the month of January, and uh, I'm excited about it. Uh, I know that when we head into a new year, a lot of times we're very concerned about many different issues in our life, one of them being health, and a lot of times it's at the beginning of the year that we make all these different resolutions about things concerning our health or diet or exercise or any number of health-related concerns for our our physical body. And many times we don't have a very good understanding of where we're at spiritually, uh, how we're doing in our spiritual health. And so we're going to go through this series, Spiritual Vital Signs, and we're going to look through Scripture at how we can kind of take a spiritual pulse of where we are ...as we're living our lives for the Lord Jesus Christ. And so tonight, we're going to look at our first installment of this series, A Faith Pulse. A Faith Pulse. We're going to look here at 2 Peter chapter number 1. We're going to begin reading with verse number 1. And if you found your place there and you're physically able to stand... ...I would invite you to stand with me out of respect for the reading of the Word of God. We'll begin here in verse number 1. Simon Peter, a servant... That by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to uh, patience godliness. And to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. For if these things, and notice this, be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall never be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. Wherefore, the rather, brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, ye shall never fall. For so an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray this evening and ask God to help us as we study his word together. Heavenly Father, we are just so excited here at the beginning of the year to be in your house, to know that we can look to the truth of your word to help us grow in our lives, grow closer to you, please you, and experience the life that you've given us through your son, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray that we would be Christians who are healthy, that we would be Christians who are spiritually on track, that, God, we would be fruitful for you and that we would not be blind to who we are in you, but, Lord, we would have a clear vision of the things that you would desire to accomplish in our lives. So, Lord, I pray that you'd work powerfully through this series to help us each individually to gauge where we're at spiritually, to know where we might not be spiritually healthy so that you, our great physician, physically and spiritually could come into those areas and revive us and and make us alive where we might be experiencing difficulty and unhealthiness. So Lord, bless our time in your word tonight, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Well, as we dig into this series, we're going to use this passage that we just read as really uh, our central text. To to learn about our spiritual health and the reason why is because Peter here is first of all as we see from this passage speaking to Christians notice with me here in verse number one he's writing to those who have received or obtained like precious faith he's writing to believers and he's instructing believers as to what they have in the Lord Jesus Christ he begins as we've already had a study concerning uh, expressing to them the wonderful promises that they have in Jesus and how many of you are glad that along with our salvation comes many wonderful promises that God has given to us. And we hang on to those promises, and we look forward to those promises, and we see the fruit of those promises enacted in our life as we're faithful to obey God and His Word and His Spirit. So he's writing to believers, and as he comes down a little bit further in our passage, he begins to list several indicators of a fruitful, uh, living, spiritual life. He says... Hey, there are going to be certain indicators. There are going to be certain things that accompany a new life in the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, through the course of the next several weeks, we're going to deal with each one of these things, and we're going to see what place they have in our life, and what they are, and what we need to look for as a Christian to discern whether or not we're spiritually healthy people. But the first thing that I want to address tonight is, do we have a faith pulse? Do we have a faith pulse? You see, Peter is writing to Christians. And how many of you understand you can't begin to have a healthy spiritual life if, first of all, you're not alive in Christ? Are we all dead tonight? How many many of you know you can't do anything spiritual if you don't have the Spirit of God in you? You got to be alive in Christ. You have to have a spiritual pulse. You have to have a faith pulse. And as we look at the different things that Peter indicates quantifies a spiritual life, he begins with the foundation of faith. Notice with me, if you would, verse number five, it says, and beside this, beside these wonderful promises that we've been given, we need to be giving all diligence to add to our what? Say it nice and loud, to add to our what? Faith. Faith. It's a faith that needs to be there first. You can't add anything spiritual to a faithless life. You must first have a faith pulse. It's the foundation for all spiritual life. Our salvation, our quickening, the making alive of our spirit, the coming to salvation in the Lord Jesus Christ is the beginning of all spiritual matters. And I will say this tonight. I will say that while we have a very spiritualistic world today, we do not have a very spiritual world today. A lot of people talk about spiritism and spiritual type things and no spiritual language and can spout off all sorts of spiritual lingo but they're not really attaching that to a life that's been quickened in the spirit of God. They have no faith foundation to add anything to. And so the first thing that we have to address tonight is do we have a faith pulse? Now, many of us in this room tonight, we would say, "Well, pastor, this is a Wednesday night crowd." I mean, it's hard enough to come to church on a Wednesday night when we're tired and we've had a long week and it's the beginning of the year, so probably everybody in this room is saved. And and I would hope that everybody in this room is saved. I hope everybody in this room knows Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But it's still important for us as Christians to rehearse the doctrine of salvation. The doctrine of salvation is known as the doctrine of soteriology. It is the doctrine of the understanding of how we are made alive in our spirit by the work and the work alone of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the way, how many of you are glad he did all the work that was necessary for us? His death, burial, and resurrection are the gospel. It is what quickens us and makes us alive as we place our faith and trust in him. We understand from Scripture that faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. It is the word of God that is the power of God unto salvation for those that believe. And so when people hear the gospel, when they hear the preaching of the word of God and the Holy Spirit of God comes into that person's heart and convicts them of their sin and it can bring a, a life-giving quickening of the spirit of God to them. And how many of you are glad tonight just by way of testimony to be saved? Shout amen. What a blessing that is. So you might think, well, pastor, it's the beginning of a new year. This is fairly elementary to me. I know all this stuff already. And yet we live in a Christian culture that is quickly forgetting what true salvation is all about. We live in a Christian culture that is rife with false teaching and false doctrine and easy believism and all kinds of nonsensical attributes that are added to the true message of the gospel, that it has become muddied, it has become unclear. And the reason why it's so important that believers are sharpened in this issue of true salvation is because if you lapse in the understanding of what true salvation is, you can't have the proper heart and understanding to really go after souls for Jesus. You'll lose your passion and desire to see people around you truly trust Jesus. Jesus Christ as their savior. You'll allow them to talk about their good works and talk about their religious affiliations and talk about how they grew up with grandma and did good things and how that's gonna get them to heaven. And you'll allow that to pass over you because you've become soft in your belief on salvation. It's time for Christians again to drill down on the basic truth of God's word. That is the gospel. That is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we must be right on this issue. You. We need to have a faith pulse if we're to build a strong Christian life that is spiritually healthy So as we go through this tonight, we're really going to be very specific about what salvation is and, and what it means to be saved and what it means to be made alive in the Lord Jesus Christ It will be stuff you've heard before, but how many of you understand we all need to hear it again right. And again and again Listen, this is the one central issue that the devil continues to battle all of the time. He wants to have people uncertain and unclear and satisfied in their own accomplishments and satisfied in their own vanities and satisfied in their own religiosity. He doesn't want them coming to the knowledge of the truth. And how many of you understand people can be blinded by religion just like they can be blinded by blatant sin. So we need to be very clear about what it means to have a spiritual faith pulse. So we're adding all of these other elements of spiritual health to a pulse of faith. Now, in order to give us a reference point of of what we're talking about tonight, being alive in Christ, being saved, I want us to turn our Bibles over to Ephesians chapter number 2. Ephesians chapter number 2. We're switching human authors here. Of course, we know that the Word of God is penned by the Holy Spirit of God working through human authors. But we're leaving off from the writings of Peter and we're turning over to the writings of Paul here in Ephesians chapter number 2. We're going to begin reading tonight with verse number 1. Notice with me as we read together in our passage of Scripture. Paul writes, and you, and again, Paul is speaking to the church of Ephesus. So just like Peter was speaking to people of faith, just like Peter was speaking to believers, to Christians, Paul is also addressing Christians here. And he says, and you hath he quickened. That word quickened is a word that means made alive. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein Time past ye walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, among whom also we all had our conversation in time past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, Even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened, there's that word again, it means to make alive, he hath quickened us together with Christ, by grace ye are saved, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus, for by grace are ye saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. And what a great job, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, the Apostle Paul does in highlighting really what our condition is. And tonight as we, as we evaluate a spiritual pulse, I want us first of all to see our natural state. What, what is our natural state as human beings born into this world? Well, the Apostle Paul highlights what that natural state is. Notice with me again verse number one. And you hath he quickened who were what? Amen. Everybody say it nice and loud. Who were what? Amen. Who were dead. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. At the end of verse number three, the Bible says that we were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. You see, this is our natural state. When we're born into this world, we are born dead. That's hard for us to reconcile because when we're born, we're loud. You know, we cry and we scream and, and, and how many of you understand once they start crying, they never stop crying. And, uh, and, and there's movement, and there's growth, and there's eating, and there's diapers, and there's, there's the different phases of, of life, and, and so it's, it's, it's a little bit difficult for us to wrap our minds around conceptually, but, but spiritually, and, and that's what we're discussing right now is our spiritual health, spiritually we're dead. Now, now, many people in our world are under the false conception that people are born innocent, that people are born pure. And as a result of their environment, they're corrupted. Because how many of you understand, how can you look a little cute, rosy-cheeked, you know, cur- curly-haired, smiling baby in the face and say, that's a lousy sinner dead and going to hell? It doesn't happen. You don't see that on the greeting cards parents put out. Pray, pray for my little demon child, you know, it. It's just not the way we view it. We view babies as a sense of uh, innocence, as a sense of purity, as a sense of... And, and in a sense, they, they have a, a, a description in the Bible as, as a form of innocence, in their conscience anyway. Uh, we do have some proof texts from Scripture, and I'm not going to elaborate on it greatly, but we have some understanding that if a child has not reached the age of accountability to truly understand sin and the consequence of sin and make a profession of faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior, that, that God will uh, bring them home with him to be in heaven. And, and listen, I don't know how all that works out. Hey, this is the way I answer a lot of those questions. God is good, God is just, and what he does is always right. How many of you are okay with that tonight? Amen. But we have some indications from David and some of the things he wrote that, that, that infants, uh, especially people who do not attain an age of accountability if they die and they've not made a decision for Christ that God will take them home. How many of you are, are prayerful and, and, and hopeful in that truth that we have from Scripture that the literally uh, millions of babies that have been aborted in our country are with God in heaven right now? And so, so we have this understanding, but yet we know from Scripture... That every person that's born in this world is born in trespasses and in sins. Every baby that is born is born a vile, dirty, rotten, despicable sinner before God, cannot enter God's presence, cannot be looked upon by God, cannot be seen by a holy God in relationship anyway until they are washed by the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we get a lot of our religious sensibilities from this fallacy that we're born innocent and our environments corrupt us because then if we're part of a religious environment that religious environment can save us it can purify us it can make us create good actions in our life and and the bible does not teach that we're going to learn that a little bit further on in our passage here in ephesians chapter number two but but the truth is is we're born in trespasses and sins in fact the psalmist david wrote in sin did my mother conceive me david knew that from a child he was a sinner From an infant, he had the nature of sin. Notice with me again, Ephesians 2, verse 3. We were by nature the children of wrath, even as others. Listen, this is why it's so important that you're part of a ministry. Wherever you go, if you're here at Fellowship Baptist Church, or if God moves you to another place, uh, and you have children, you need to make sure that their children's ministries from an early age are teaching those children the truth of God's word and and teaching them about the gospel, and teaching them about the love of Jesus, and teaching them about sin, and teaching about their need for salvation. It's so important. Why? Because as, as they learn of God, and as they know of God, that that power of the gospel will prick their heart and convict them so that they can come to the saving knowledge of Christ at an early age. Hey, I, I'll give testimony. I know my testimony isn't glamorous and I, you know, wasn't a drunk that robbed twelve banks and then came to the light. You know, I don't have an exciting testimony, but I think it's exciting. I was saved at a young age and praise God. I'm glad I had the opportunity to be saved at a young age, to have Him fill me with His Spirit and to, to, to guide me and to lead me and to help me grow in in, in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. And so, it's important that we realize that nobody's born innocent. Nobody's born without a sin nature. We all come into this world sinful, and we all need to be saved. We're in our trespasses and sins. We are dead. This is our natural state. Um, I remember um, the first funeral I ever went to. I was 12 years old, and it was my great-grandfather's funeral on my dad's side and i loved my grandpa he owned a 16-foot cabin cruiser boat that we would take out on the cedar river there near waterloo iowa where i grew up and we would go fishing together and i love fishing i I love fishing because my grandpa and my dad would take me out on this boat and we'd fish together and we have a great time together and uh, we did the whole fishing stuff. We'd listen to the Iowa football game in the boat on the radio while we were fishing on a Saturday, and we'd be digging our hands into the nightcrawler jar with dirt and guts all over it and put it on the hook and then stick our hands in the Cheeto bag and eat some Cheetos, okay? It was awesome. And uh, we would just have a good old time pulling all kinds of catfish and bass and crappie and all kinds of things out of that river, and then we'd take them home and we'd fillet those things out and have fish fries and loved my grandpa, and uh, was really broken up when he passed away. And I remember uh, standing in line at the viewing, and I didn't know what a viewing was. I'd, I'd never seen an expired body before, and, and I remember walking down the line and, and waiting in line to, to view my grandfather. And as I came up to the casket, there were some relatives I'd never met uh, standing in front of me and, and talking about, you know, how good grandpa looked. And and I understood what they meant. You know, we we all, when we have a loved one that's passed away, we we want them to look presentable and we want to have a good remembrance of them. But i got to tell you, at 12 years old, I could tell the difference between my grandpa on a fishing boat with a smile and a pole in the water and him in that box. And I thought to myself as I was standing behind these relatives and they were talking about, boy, he sure looks good and I'm I'm glad he looks good. I'm, I'm like, what are you talking about? I mean, he, he was in a suit and they, they painted some color on his cheeks and, and, and they made him look nice. But, but I knew that, that my grandpa wasn't in that box. My grandpa wasn't there anymore. My grandpa was with the Lord. Amen. And I remember thinking to myself, that's not a good look. And while we're born... In our trespasses and sins, dead spiritually, we can do all we want in our own flesh to to dress up this carcass and to paint a smile on it and to put a tie on it and, and to paint some makeup on it and to make it look good from the exterior. But as Jesus told those hypocritical Pharisees, on the outward you're like a whited sepulcher glowing and gleaming, but on the inside you're full of rotten, putrid, dead men's bones... And by the way, that's our life without Jesus. That's the best we can do is take this sinful, dead, dirty carcass and put a suit on it and a tie on it and paint a smile on it and try to do the best that we can. But how many of you are glad when we realize we're dead in our sin and we grab onto the truth of the Lord? He fills us with his spirit. He quickens us. He makes us alive. And I'll tell you what, there's nothing more beautiful than a person that's been ransomed by the Savior. And a person that's been filled with the Spirit of God, that's full of the joy of the Lord, that doesn't have to paint a smile on their face and throw a coat on to look sharp, but really from the inside out expresses that they're alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, we have to realize that our natural condition is that we are dead in our trespasses and sins. And no matter how good a person makes themselves look, how many of you know Death catches up with all of us. Every once in a while, I'm at the age now where I've grown up in culture and have viewed cultural icons throughout time, actors, sports figures, different people. And how many of you every once in a while get shocked when one of those figures pops up on the TV screen you haven't seen in a while and you're like, wow, life caught up to him. How many of you are sad when that happens to you looking through the photo book? (laughs) Life catches up to us. Death catches up to us. And there's nothing that we can ultimately do about it. But I'll tell you, when we come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, we have that new life in us. We have that vibrancy in us. And that should exude out of us no matter what our age is. No matter what our circumstance is. No matter where we're at in life. We have to come to terms that this is our natural state. And by the way, that's the natural state of your mom. That's the natural state of your dad. That's the natural state of your sweet old grandma. That's the natural state of that pillar of the community. That's that natural state of the person who has a billion dollars. That's the natural state of the person who has one dollar. Everybody comes into this world in the same position spiritually. We are dead in our trespasses and in our sins. And we all need to be made alive by the spirit of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're talking about the pulse of faith tonight. We have to know our natural state. Notice verse number two, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world. That's our natural state. Our natural state is to gravitate towards the world, to fall in love with the world. And this is how you can begin to discern where your spiritual pulse is. If it's a drudgery to come to church, if it's a drudgery to be in the house of God, if it's a drudgery to serve God, if it's a drudgery to open up your Bible, if it's a drudgery to speak about what God is doing in your life, if you can't ever figure out a good thing to say about your spiritual condition, if it's just a show that you're putting on on a Sunday morning, then you might be in trouble spiritually. Spiritually. If all of your time and energy and mind and heart is given over to the affection of the world and I love my hobby and I love my money and I love my material possessions and I love my this and my that and and nothing points to anything eternal and everything is about loving everything here on earth, let me just say this, we've got problems spiritually. Something is out of rhythm. Because the natural state of a person who is dead in their trespasses and sins is to be caught up in a walk that depicts the course of this world. That's why John writes, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. It's our spiritual pulls. Listen, I get scared for good. Listen, I'm nobody's judge. But how many of you understand just because we're not to judge other people as God judges other people, that doesn't mean we have to abandon our own judgment. We can still have wisdom and discernment. And, and I'm fearful for what I see in many Christians' lives, how they have fallen so in love with the world. And they depict it in their attitude and in their demeanor and in the way that they carry themselves and in the way that they talk and in the way that they live and in the way that they, they serve it scares me sometimes that, that, that we're falling as, as Christianity into this very surface form of Christianity that, that wants to love the world and then just give lip service to God. We've got to be very careful about that. And, and I'm, I'm concerned for our young people today. I'm concerned that there's a dearth in the church as a whole of young people who are growing up with a passion for God, who want to be pastors and want to be missionaries and want to experience a call of God in their life. And listen, I'm fine if you're a plumber or if you're a construction worker or you're a lawyer or, well, if you're a doctor, if you don't, whatever. Whatever you want to be, if you do it to the glory of God, do it with all of your heart and all of your might and serve the Lord. But, but where are the missionaries today? But where are, the, where are the pastors today? Where, where's the next generation coming up with the zeal and the power and, and, a, and a desire to serve God? Where are the kids that are being raised in our churches experiencing revival and saying, man, I want to serve my God and I want to be that Daniel that stands up. I want to be that Esther that stands up for my people. I want to be that person that's here for such a time and such a place and We need to, especially if we're saved, get back to a repentant heart again, looking toward God and saying, God, would you use me? Help me to love you and help me to love eternity and help me to love your calling in my life. See, our natural state is to follow the course of this world. Verse number 2, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air. The spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Hey, if you love the world so much, I've got to ask you a question. Who do you think's running the world right now? Can I get specific with this? Who do you think's running fashion right now? Who do you think is running media right now? Who do you think is running the television shows you're watching and the movies that you're watching and the music that you're listening to? Who do you think's behind the messaging and behind the intent and behind the philosophy and yet we love this stuff? And we put the posters on our walls and we point our children to it and we say, that's the ideal, that's what you want to be, you want to be successful, you want to be rich, you want to be sexy, you want to be all these things that the world says you need to be. And we promote that and we, we throw that in front of our children and no wonder the church is dying today. It's time we take a spiritual pulse again and we see what the foundation is that we need to be building upon. And I believe this today. We need people in the church house getting saved. Because we've left off too long playing games with God. There's not a fire burning in our hearts, and there's not a passion and love for His Word, and there's not a zeal to serve Him, and there's not a reality of fruit that's being experienced in people's lives, and we need to get back to a holiness, and we need to get back to a righteousness, and we need to get back to God calling people in church again to be faithful to Him, and to serve Him, and and to love Him, and to not fall in love with this world. Pastor, what's wrong with you tonight? I don't know. <laughs> hey, listen, I think, I think there, 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 there are, are people that are, are being, they don't have much of a pulse today in the church. And the generations that are coming up are showing that. And we need to get back to showing what a zeal and a reality of Christian life is all about. We need to get back to showing what a passion and a fervor for the things of God is all about, what what having a pulse spiritually looks like. So this is our natural state. Now, I want us to see also from this passage tonight our natural desire. Our natural desire. Notice with me verse number three, among whom also we all had our conversation, our manner of living in times past and the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. This is our natural desire. Our natural desire, apart from the filling of the Spirit of God, is to follow the desires of our flesh. And and, and these should be easy for us to discern. And yet, how many of you understand our own hearts deceive us? Listen, I'm going to look you right in the eyes. I'm going to tell you this about me. I'm going to tell you this about me, and uh, I hope nobody has rocks that you can throw at me tonight, okay? Because if you throw one at me, I'm going to pick it back up and throw it right back at you, okay? I'm going to tell you this about me. Listen, I'm capable of this. I can, in my mind, convince myself that I'm doing well and that I'm living for God, that I'm doing right, and on the side, entertain the lusts of the flesh. How many of you know our heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who can know it? And I constantly have to be in check with the Spirit. I don't know how people can live a day without being in the Word of God, without being in the mirror of His Word, being convicted by the truth of His Word, and continue to walk with the Lord. Because, man, I don't mean to share too much with you tonight, but but if I'm away from the Word of God too long, and I walk away from the mirror of His Word, I start looking at myself and thinking I'm looking okay, and I start falling right back into the same lust of the flesh all over again. Do we not realize that that's our tendency? Don't we realize that that's our natural state? I'm not saying we don't experience spiritual maturity. I'm not saying that we don't grow past things in the Spirit, but we can't continue to grow if we're not in His Word. And Ben, I'll tell you what. um, The most dangerous person in the world is a person who knows enough about the Word of God to convince themselves they're righteous, and then, you know, on the side be entertaining all the things in the flesh that they want to entertain and by the way, wasn't that what God said about the children of Israel? With their mouth, with their lips, they drew close to him, but with their heart, they were far from him. That's what we're talking about tonight. We're talking about that spiritual pulse. Where are we at with, with our spiritual pulse? In our natural state, we, we go after the lusts of the flesh, and it says end of the mind. How many of you understand... Most of the battles that we face spiritually begin in the mind. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So if the devil can captivate our thoughts, if the devil can captivate our mind, how many of you understand he's won the battle of our actions? So it's really important what we meditate on. It's really important we focus on, and and I I am bewildered by what many Christians like focusing on. I'm bewildered what many people like to occupy their minds with. The worry and the fret and the frustration and the the worldliness and and the worldly sensibilities and the worldly wisdom. Listen, I'm all for education. I'm a big education person. We're going to learn about that as one of these key attributes of, of being healthy spiritually, an area of knowledge that we need to add to our faith. I'm all about learning. I don't think there's anything wrong with learning. But there have been many lives destroyed in the pursuit of worldly wisdom where the devil has used the conduit of worldly wisdom to captivate a young person's mind and turn their heart away from the Lord. It's a Wednesday night crowd, so I feel I can meddle a little bit. Parents, you need to be very prayerful and very careful about your plans for your young people when you send them off away from home. Pastor, I want them to get into the best school. I want them to learn from the best professors. Have you looked at who the best professors are out there today? Do you want to know who's learning from the best professors today? It's all the people who are in office right now destroying our country. Because they are godless people. And so we say, man, I want him to go to this university. I want him to get into this program. I want him to learn from this professor. And I'll tell you what you'll end up with. A lot of, I, can I reiterate, I'm not against school. I'm not against education. I think it's valuable. I think it's good. All those things. Do not email me. <laughs> but you say, man, I'm going to send them off to this, this university. And, man, it's going to make their life. And what you're going to end up with is a godless person who owes a lot of student loans. <laughs> That's right. And we need to wake up today and see what this issue and battle of the mind is really about. We need to be careful, and we need to be uh, walk circumspectly, and we need to understand the time, and we need to understand what's going on. And I'm telling you, the devil is after the minds of our children. Back in the 60s, when we kicked God out of the schools and we kicked prayer out of the schools, the school system has gone downhill in its proliferation of ungodly, unbiblical agendas concerning the minds of people. say, well, pastor, are you down on schools? No, we've got Christian teachers that uh, are in the school system trying to do their best, trying to stand up for God. I pray for them. I'm saying you don't let anybody parent your kids, you parent your kids, you lead them in the way of God, you make sure you know what they're learning, and you keep the Bible in front of them. Amen. I don't mind if you do that when they're 32. <laughs> Listen, we, we, we need to understand our natural desire is toward the fleshly lusts and, and this entertainment of our mind with fleshly principles. And conceptions and we need to be very careful of that now lastly this evening as we look at our spiritual pulse and and see where we're at spiritually see what our heart beats for see what fills up our heart and where our affections lie I want us to see God's saving work how many of you are glad that though all of us were born in trespasses and sins dead spiritually though our natural inclination was to follow the lusts of the flesh though our natural inclination was to entertain the vanity of our own mind, how many of you are glad as I am for the but God in verse number 4? Isn't that good? We were wicked, horrible, dead, pathetic, lifeless, but God. But he loved us anyway. But God, who is? Is rich in mercy. For his great love, wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us, made us alive together with Christ. And how many of you are glad? By grace, you are saved. We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. This is so important about salvation. We cannot earn it. I talk to a lot of people all the time, and it's really hard to pull them away from. Especially if they come from a background of religion that has been for centuries entrapped and ensnared in performance equals earning the grace of God. You know, going through this ritual religiously and, and quoting these verses religiously and passing this program religiously and lighting these candles religiously and, and, and performing these sacraments and being a pillar of the community and doing good works and... And to pull them away from that conception of, that's what a good person is, that's what a godly person is, and saying, no, 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 the prophet Isaiah said, all of our righteousness is as filthy rags. How many of you, when you go to wash your car, you grab the dirtiest rag you can find? No, you're just going to smear the mud around. You're not going to clean it off, and that's what we do with our own righteousness, you know, if, if we could get saved, if we could redeem ourselves through our own good works, through baptism, through communion, through confirmation, through hoops we jump through, if we could get saved through processes, why did Jesus have to die on the cross? Why? Doesn't that seem like a big waste? If we could do it in our own strength and our own power? And so we have to understand that salvation does not come by what we do. It comes as an act of grace from God. He extends it out of his own sovereignty and his own love and his own desire and his own design. It's all of God. It's nothing to do with us. It all comes from his word. It all comes from the quickening of the spirit of God. It all comes from him bringing life to us. And how many of you are glad that our God is so merciful and so gracious? Sit on that for a moment and, and be glad for your salvation enough so that you'll consider giving that news to somebody else. Because how awesome is that? God, who's rich in mercy... For his great love wherewith he loved us, even as we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. For by grace, again, this truth, for by grace are ye saved through faith. That's the foundation, through faith. And how many of you are glad that the preaching of the word of God can bring faith to our heart? Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And it's through the preaching of the word that people are given faith. It's through the preaching of the word. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the word of God. That's why we need to open this. That's why we need this in church and not entertainment. That's why we need this in youth group and not entertainment. Oh, we can have fun. Hey, we have fun around here. But how many of you are glad we open the word of God? It's the preaching of the word that we need. That's what brings life. God's saving work. It's because of His grace, and it's through the faith that's imparted to us by the Word of God. And that, not of yourself. It's not of ourself. It's not of ourself. It's not of ourselves. How many of you know? If you can get saved through yourself, you can get lost again through yourself. You can't secure that kind of ransom, but Jesus can. And he did. And if we receive it in faith because of his word, we can be quickened by his spirit. We can be quickened by his spirit. I love verse number nine. Well, verse number eight says it's a gift of God. How many of you know you don't work for a gift? That's a pretty sorry gift if you work for it, by the way. You got fooled on that one. If you had to work for your gift. How many of you are glad this Christmas your gifts came and you didn't have to wash a car for it or vacuum a house for it? You just got to sit down and open it up and enjoy it. It's not based on a work that you do. Not of works. Verse number nine says, lest any man should boast. But I love verse 10, for you are his workmanship. How many of you are glad we don't work for our salvation, but we do work out his salvation? That's another indicator of our pulse. Is his salvation being worked out in your life? Is there evidence of it? Is there fruit of it? Is it seeable? Is it identifiable? We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus into good works. I've gone way too long tonight, and I apologize for that. On the first Wednesday evening of the year, you're like, if this is the trend we're setting. But this is an important, important, important topic that we're discussing and it's one that is being diluted, and it's one that is being marginalized in Christianity, and it's, it's, it's a truth that we need to get back to very specifically. And so I have some questions for you tonight. Are there indicators in your life that you have a spiritual pulse, that you have a pulse of faith? You can't be saved if you're counting on your works or your religion or your confirmation or your baptism or your taking of communion or your status in the community, or your verse that you memorized when you were three. None of that saves us. Jesus saved us. Jesus died for us. Jesus rose again victorious over sin and death. Jesus gives us his spirit. Jesus, through the spirit of God, quickens us and makes us alive. It is him that does the work, not us. And I don't want anyone to sit in our church for a length of time thinking that they're saved by something they've done or some religious affiliation they had. I want them to know, I want them to know that Jesus alone saves. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh to the Father but by me. But grandma's good, but is grandma saved? Aunt Betty's good, is Aunt Betty saved? Mom's good. Is mom saved? Are they saved? Do they know Jesus? Do you know Jesus tonight? Are you concerned that, listen, I'm not trying to get anybody to doubt their salvation. How many of you are glad if you're saved and the Spirit is quickened you, you can never lose your salvation? Amen. Amen. It's the work he's done. But man, if you've got no spiritual fruit, and man, it's a, you haven't cracked open the Bible in a year and you're fine with that you're in love with the world and everything's about your flesh and everything's about entertaining your mind in this world and your flesh in this world, you've got to stop for a moment and, and put your fingers over your wrist and just say, is there a pulse here? Is there anything spiritual going on in my life? Or is it all a facade? Is it all so people can see that I'm so close to Jesus? How many of you know Jesus sees past all the suits and the ties and the smiles and he sees right to our heart? You can't fool him.